Well, hello, and thanks for joining us today uh, as we continue in our series on faith in a time of crisis. Every week, I, I usually stand in front of this painting that's behind me, so I thought I'd take a moment to actually explain the painting a little bit. Um, behind me is it's quite a large painting that doesn't normally sit on my the wall of my study, but I've moved it in for a slightly more interesting background while we're recording all these sermons. And uh, it was the first piece of art which uh, my husband Sven and I actually commissioned and, and purchased. And it was done by a, an artist in the Blue Mountains. Um, and so if you can if you've been to the Blue Mountains, you'll know that they actually look blue through the forest. And the, it's abstract, of course, but what he was trying to create was the impression that you get when you look up through the forest of trees and the overall blueness of the mountains. I'm going to step out of camera so that you can get a good look at it. I'm sure some of you will be going, ah, yes, I see that, and others will be, what, you know, completely abstract. Um, but it is a beautiful piece of art, and uh, we've enjoyed it now for quite a few decades together. Well, as I said, today we're working through our series. We're coming to the end of our series on faith in a time of crisis, and we're finishing up by looking at the notion of what what is great faith, what is great, big, bold amazing, remarkable faith and how do we get it? And in order to do that, we're going to look today at a Bible passage in Luke chapter 7. And it's a, a Bible passage that records um, a meeting and an event that happened uh, between Jesus and a Roman centurion whose servant was unwell and he asked him to heal him. So it's this story where, where Jesus in the end remarks about uh, how how great the faith of this centurion is. So we're going to have a look at that today. Uh, just by way of introduction, I want to talk a little bit about clarity. And because I think that when we break down faith, clarity is one of those elements. Clarity is so important. Um, without clarity, we have chaos. And that's been a little bit how it's felt some some weeks during this whole coronavirus shutdown. Um, we're allowed to meet in groups. No, we're not allowed to meet in groups. Um, we're allowed to visit our families. No, we shouldn't visit our families. Um, the government's calling the army in. No, that's been cancelled. You know, like when we don't have certainty, it's really hard for us to to act appropriately. Um, we need certainty. We need clarity. And clarity, that's, that's true of so many things. Clarity is the key to so many good decisions. Uh, clarity is the key to good communication, for example. And so I have developed a habit of when I'm preparing a sermon and I study the biblical text, I spend a lot of time um, just trying to get to what I think is the key idea of the passage. And I will not permit myself to start typing or writing out my sermon until I feel I've arrived with clarity at what, you know, what is the big idea of the passage. Until I've got clarity, I feel like I can't communicate well. But clarity is also important to say, clarity is important to leadership. 
Um, our church in the last 12 months has gone through a the development of a vision and so we've worked through a process together where we've tried to gain clarity ab about what the vision is for us and to do that we've asked some analytical questions like why do we exist and and who are we what are our strengths um, what is the context in which God has placed us and what is the particular problem or predicaments that we find in our context that God might be calling us to minister to. And once we've been able to answer those why questions, if you like, we've gained enough clarity that we can develop a vision, that we see that God is calling us to to reach out and to welcome people and families um, in our local community. Um, so clarity is so important. It's important to in military exercise, it's important in government, it's important in so many ways. And I think that clarity is one of the keys to great faith. And we see that in this passage that we're looking at today. Lots of us want to have greater faith. The Bible encourages us to walk by faith, to live by faith. Um, to pray with faith and not doubt. Uh, Jesus promised us that if we had even a little bit of faith, um, that we'd be able, you know, that nothing would be impossible for us. Uh, faith is, is linked to our, our growth um, in our spiritual life. So lots of us want to have greater faith. We want to feel that uh, close relationship with God and be trusting God as we travel through life. But how do we get great faith? I mean, faith is such a, it's such a spiritual word. It's, it's a saintly word. It's a word that is, it's hard to nail down its exact meaning. I did a Google search where I put into Google, um, how can I get great faith? And the answers that came up were, there was a variety of answers. Um, uh, here's a couple of them that I ought to, uh, let me see, what was it? Um, spend a lot of time in prayer. That's a direct quote. Spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, another website said, take a verse out of scripture and pray it over your life. That way you'll, you know, you'll have greater faith. Another said, um, just believe, you know, which is equally a spiritual word and, and hard to do sometimes. And another website said, welcome trials. We ought to welcome trials and that will um, increase our faith. Well, all of that sounds very hard to pin down and it sounds difficult. And yet here we have in this story of the centurion, Jesus remarking, it's a simple story and Jesus remarks just from a few things that the centurion does and says, he says, um, I tell you, I've not found such great faith, even in all of Israel. Okay, even amongst all of my own people, I have not found such great faith as I see in this Roman centurion. Um, it, it actually says when Jesus when Jesus heard what the centurion was saying, he says he was amazed at him. And you know, in scripture, I think it only says um, about two times that Jesus was amazed. So when we read that Jesus was amazed, we ought to straighten up our backs and pay attention and think, what was so amazing about this fellow's faith? So let's jump in and have a look at this text and the context of the text, of course, it's first century and the Romans are the rulers and this, the, the, this, these things occurred in the town of Capernaum where Jesus has just arrived into after delivering the Sermon on the Mount, it says. And uh, Capernaum was a border town, so there were two 
two Roman rulers of separate areas and it's likely that the Roman centurion who's featured um, in this account was one of the border uh, guards, you know, it was in charge of the border guards. Um, it's likely that he was in charge of probably about a hundred soldiers um, ma maintaining the border, keeping the peace. And so in that town, Capernaum, there dwelt a variety of people. There were the, the Romans, there were the Jewish people as well who were subject uh, to the Romans. And that's what makes this account actually even more remarkable because the Jews, the Jewish elders show such respect for this Roman centurion. So that's a little bit of background of the context. And what happens is that when Jesus enters Capernaum, um, the centurion who had a servant that he highly valued, who was on death's door, um, this centurion sends a group of Jewish elders to make a request of Jesus that he will heal the centurion's servant. And then Jesus, Jesus proceeds to go to the centurion's home, but before he can get to the home, the centurion sends um, some, some friends out to see him and to say, no, it's okay, I know you, you can just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. So that's a bit of, uh, bit of a summary of the story and a bit of account of the context. Um, as I said, I think that great faith can be broken down into clarity, um, clarity about God, um, and in this particular instance about who Jesus is relative to God, and clarity about our relationship with God. And when you combine that clarity with a conviction, an action, the result is great faith. But the first characters in our story do not demonstrate. The first, the first people that we encounter in this narrative are the Jewish elders. And they come to him, and that when they come to Jesus, they plead earnestly with him and say, this man deserves, uh, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus goes with them. This man deserves to have you do this. Um, I hate to say it, but the the Jewish elders in this account have once again kind of become the example of what not to do or think. Um, this man deserves this. I mean, haven't they read their scriptures? Haven't they read Job, who even amidst his suffering comes to acknowledge the, the sovereignty and the complete otherness of God and the holiness of God and how we cannot stand before this God? Or haven't they read the Psalms? You know, that we've, we've all, or the prophets, we've all like sheep gone astray, each of us to our own way. How could they come to him and say this man deserves for you to heal his servant. But Jesus is, um, uh, he's, he, he notes, like here are the Jewish elders speaking highly about a Roman centurion who was in control of them. And yet they, they respect this man. They regard him. They say that he's built our synagogue and he loves our nation. Um, the Bible calls such people God-fearers, okay? He wasn't an Israelite. But he had come to, to the point of, of realizing that the God that the Jewish people, the God of Israel, was the one supreme God, and that this God was over all creation. Um, this God had power over the wind and the waves and so on, um, over all of the creatures of the world that he that the, that God had created, God had control. So he's come to 
He's come to know that the God of the Israelites is the Lord of all the earth. And he's also come to realize that Jesus Christ is this God in the flesh. Recognize that Jesus has the power to heal his servant because he is Lord, uh, because he has power over everything, including even sickness. And it's this clarity of understanding about who God is and that Jesus himself is God that moves the centurion to ask the Jewish elders, and another act of great respect, that he doesn't come himself, but he sends the Jewish elders to make a request of Jesus that Jesus heals his servant. And as Jesus approaches the house, the centurion then sends some friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this centurion has great clarity about who God is, and who, that, that Jesus himself is God, that Jesus has the power to heal, that Jesus only needs to speak a word and his servant will be healed. Uh, he understands this because he is a man who dwells in a hierarchy and he is over um, probably about a hundred soldiers, as I said, and he can just say, go and come and they obey. And so he also says, um, I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. So he not only has clarity about Jesus, but he has clarity about his lack of worth. Uh, he's very, very humble as he thinks about God. He's very humble himself. And this is what Jesus remarks. Um, he says, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in all Israel. I think if we break down the centurion's faith, what was great about it can be broken down into this. He had clarity about God and himself. Um, he had a sense of conviction and it actually emboldened him to reach out because when we know that God is powerful and that God cares for us, wouldn't we be taking the biggest of requests to our Saviour? Well, our second reading uh, which was in Hebrews, listed a bunch of people in the Bible. It was like a, it's a, like a roll call of faith. And in Hebrews 11, we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Now I think that um, the word clarity is very similar to confidence. Well, when, you know, once we know, we've got knowledge um, about our situation, we've got knowledge, then we proceed with confidence. So faith is confidence or clarity, understanding, and that assures us about things that we cannot see. The centurion was so assured, he had so much uh, clarity and conviction that he did not feel that Jesus even needed to enter his home to heal his servant. He didn't even feel like he needed to see Jesus. He just knew that who Jesus was. He had that great confidence um, and therefore he had assurance about Jesus' ability to complete his request. Now in Hebrews chapter 11 we read about 
others who've had great faith. And it lists, the first one it lists is Abel. It says in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. Now to read about Cain and Abel and their offerings, we go right back to the first chapters of the book of Genesis in the Bible. And both that they're brothers, and both brothers bring an offering to the Lord. Now Cain brings a kind of like um, perfunctory, obligatory, he's got this obligatory sense of offertory, so he brings in just, uh, he brings in some fruit. Whereas Abel, um, we read, brought in an offering. This is a big fat offering. We try and minimize our fat, but in those days, fat was good um, and much needed. And so Abel was making this very generous offering to God. And it wasn't that God um, commended him just for his offering. I think what God commended in him, that when God commended his faith, um, it's just that his faith was shown by his offering. His big, bold offering to God demonstrated a clarity of his understanding about who God was and who he himself, Abel, was as well. That's why it was in recognition of the greatness of God and the smallness of himself that he brought this generous offering. Uh, we read about Enoch, but you know we don't actually know a lot about Enoch, but it says that he walked, uh, walked in faith. Um, we read about Noah, and uh, now Noah... In his circumstance, he lived in a terribly ungodly age and God was bringing judgment to the world. And he said to Noah to build a great boat to preserve humanity and, and the creatures on this boat. And so Noah really did have to, um, you know, he, the actions that he had to take were quite enormous really. Um, he couldn't have done it without an immense amount of clarity and conviction about who God was and who he was um, and how God felt about him. Uh, we read about Abraham also who went out um, to conquer new lands for God, to discover new lands and lived on the promises of God. He must have had immense clarity of understanding about God a great sense of conviction about God's goodwill towards him too. And we read about Sarah, who, uh, Sarah, who, although she was past childbearing age, so we would say post-menopausal Sarah, um, who had never had children, had faith that God was going to give her a child. God was going to give her a child, even though, like, she's very relatable. She laughs and she obviously takes a moment uh, to consider, but she has faith, she understands who God is, that God can do this great thing, and that she is in need and that God loves her. So all of these people were in different circumstances, the centurion um, and uh, Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, all had different circumstances, different needs, but we can break down their faith into a clarity of understanding and knowledge about God and themselves, um, and of, and this translated into a great sense of conviction that led them to take steps, make action, that uh, do things that demonstrated um, the immense faith that they had. Our circumstances are different, of course. Each one of us uh, find ourselves perhaps in in different circumstances. 
um, with different needs. Maybe like the centurion serve, maybe we need healing. Uh, maybe we need a job. Um, maybe we need forgiveness. Maybe we need to be better parents. You know, maybe, maybe we're struggling with chronic pain or um, ill health or an, an addiction that we just can't seem to conquer. Um, our circumstances may differ, but the thing which will um, the thing which will demonstrate our great faith is the same: a clarity about God and ourselves, a conviction about that and how much He loves us, um, and let that translate into action. And for the the action for the centurion was to step forward and make an incredibly big request to Jesus Himself. So I said at the start that, um, that I didn't let myself write a sermon until I felt like I had the big idea of, of the passage. And the big idea of this passage in Luke chapter 7 is what is great faith um, and how can we get it? Uh, it's easy to read this passage and think it's about a healing, um, but it's about what great faith is. That it's, and I think that's about clarity and conviction and action. And so if you want great faith, um, I think the message of this passage is, okay, you don't have to kill yourself by committing to six hours of prayer, um, nor do you need to simply believe, or what were the other things, um, nor do you need to welcome trials. All of those things are good things. But if this passage is teaching us anything about how to get greater faith, it's saying to us, make sure that you really understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is that he sent. Make sure, like the centurion, you understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus does have power, that Jesus has authority, that Jesus only needs to say, uh, be healed. Uh, doesn't even need to touch someone, doesn't need to be present with them, for he is God. Make sure that you understand who God is and make sure that you understand yourself in relationship to God and his goodwill towards you um, and get a sense of conviction about that. And the only way that I know that that is possible, the only way that has ever worked for me, the only way I have ever gotten greater clarity about who God is and who I am, is to read God's word. Um, he promises that, he, he says, it says in, in the book of Timothy, it says that all scripture is God-breathed, that even though these words were written by human beings in real times and places, this story in the first century and so on, that nevertheless, um, they are God-breathed. Uh, they are inspired by God. Um, they are God speaking to us through these words, through these stories, through these narratives, through these contexts and incidences. So as we read scripture, and we read it intentionally, not in an academic way, but we read scripture deeply and asking of ourselves, like as we read it, what is this particular passage teaching me about God and what is it teaching me about people and myself in particular? Those are three easy questions to remember. What am I learning about God and Jesus? What am I learning about people, humanity? 
And what do I learn about myself as I read this? What, what action should I take? One of the actions that I take away from this, in addition to learning about great faith, about this being about clarity and conviction, um, is that great faith also shows itself in action. What a remarkable request that the centurion sent to Jesus to please heal his servant. Um, I find great encouragement for all of us in this passage um, that Jesus truly does love us and you know that God has great goodwill towards us, that God longs to bless us and we ought to, recognising who God is, who Jesus is and who we are. We ought to take our requests to him, big, bold requests like cure the servant, um, like cure our illness, um, heal our addiction, bring forgiveness and healing into our family, um, find that job, open that door, um, find that new home, uh, help us to be better parents, better spouses, uh, better children of elderly parents, better grandparents. We ought to take those big bold requests, knowing how much power God has, uh, knowing our great need of him and knowing how much God has loved us in Christ. There you go. Great faith. Great, big, bold, remarkable faith. Um, this text made it seem not this unattainable goal, not this super spiritual thing, uh, but something each one of us can reach out for. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you know us. You know our circumstances. You know our needs. And we take a moment of silence just to name that need that we have, that need where we need your help at the moment. Father, we recognise you are the one true God, sovereign over the whole world, powerful and loving, just and forgiving, full of grace, full of kindness, longing to bless, longing for us to reach out to you. Lord Jesus, we recognise you as Lord of all. We recognise you as the living embodiment of God's love that you would come and be one of us, walk among us, understand what it's like to be us, understand our needs, that you would help us to understand God, for when we look at you, we see God. And Holy Spirit, help us to get a great clarity about our position before God. Help us to understand our sin. Help us to be humble. Help us to be um, aware of our needs. And Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to reach out with empty hands and ask you for the miraculous. We pray that as we read scripture in this coming week, that Holy Spirit, you would take these God-breathed words and give us understanding give us knowledge, give us clarity, not, for this, not as an end in itself, 
but in order that we might have that great faith, help us to grow in faith, grow our understanding, grow our conviction, grow our boldness and our actions. Turn us into people of great faith. We pray this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen.